morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. Welcome into church. Amen. It's good to be here and good to see everyone this morning. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're visiting with us uh, today, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we hope that you will fill out that Connect card and drop in the box, uh, the bucket on your way out so that uh, we can follow up with you. And uh, we're not going to show up at your door or anything this afternoon. We just want to make sure that you know that you're welcome here and we'll answer any questions that you got soon after uh, you let us know who you are. Amen. So uh, let, let's talk about giving for just a second. This is a part in our service where we pause and just uh, turn our attention to how we can uh, be a blessing to others and, uh, and how we can be obedi- obedient in tithes. And, and so um, y- you can give here at Lindsay Lane three ways. You can give online, lindsaylane.org. You can text LLBC to 73256, LLBC to 73256, and you can give um, by text to give or the, the old way of, of dropping it in the bucket on the way out. You can do that as well. So uh, we, we're not going to be shy about giving you opportunities to give here at church because uh, we do want to be uh, faithful to God in giving and we want to be a blessing to others. There's a few things to be reminded of. In the last month, we've told you about our, our missionary partnerships, both locally and globally. And so uh, your offerings go to, uh, to um, keep those partnerships alive and well and working and moving. And so uh, on the way out, we'll have that missions offering bucket there. You can still give to the March to the Chest is what we used to call it. Now it's just our Lindsay Lane Baptist Church missions offering. And so we'd love for you to, uh, to, to give to that and, and keep up that support of people that are taking the gospel across cultures. Excuse me. And then uh, we also present this opportunity at Christmas time. We're going Christmas big. Amen. We're, we're going to do it big because uh, it's an opportunity to reach. And so we can do that globally by, by uh, the Christmas boxes to Haiti, which you're familiar with, a lot of you are familiar with, where we bring in those items. You can find more information about that in the gathering space. But November 18th is a key date because that's when it's due. That's also the date that you can pick up a form to, to give and provide for a child locally. Um, I just believe every child around here ought to wake up on Christmas morning and have a gift with their name on it. Are you all with me? Uh, I believe that ought to happen. And we can make that happen. But it goes even further than that. Uh, that, that night assigned in, in December, we'll welcome the community into our house. We'll get our house ready, cleaned up, and doors open so that we can welcome people in here to make them feel welcome, sit down with them, as you saw in the video, and share the gospel one-on-one. Uh, we look forward to doing that and like, look forward to doing a lot of other things during the month of December, but those are just opportunities that we have uh, to give here at our church. And, and I read something in Second uh, Corinthians I want to share with you. This is Second uh, Corinthians verses nine, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, Remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That's in the context of giving. We want to be a, a, a field full of blessing. A field full of blessing. Amen? Somebody say, somebody say amen to that. We, we want to be a big blessing in this community and, uh, and across the world. So we continue to present those opportunities. Uh, so let, let me stop and let me pray over the offering and, uh, and, and then we've got one more thing to accomplish, and we're going to jump in. Lord, we thank you so much for how you've put us together as a family. And truly, God, you, you've reminded me lately of, of how much I, I probably put my resources towards things that, that don't make a kingdom difference. So, Lord, I just pray that we would not give today out of pressure or be reluctant to do so, but with the opportunity, as you are leading us, I just pray, God, we would do that as you lead us. Lord, we pray over our tithes, our offerings. We thank you, Lord, for how you've raised up a generous church. And God, we just pray that we would stay that way. That's our prayer. And we thank you, Lord, for how you are, are blessing us. 
And I pray, oh God, you protect us today. And I pray, oh God, that you would provide for us and Lord, keep us in position to work for your glory and the good of man. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we actually get to the word, I want to let you know about Wednesday night. Wednesday is Veterans Day. The church offices will be closed here in observance of that. Wednesday night will be live stream only. At 6.30, we'll have a live stream of Facebook premiere, uh, which is, is featuring a lot of you that are veterans, and it also speak to Veterans Day, and so you can watch that online on Wednesday night. But, but just for a moment, if you served in any of our armed forces, we would love to recognize you now. Really, we're the ones that be, should be standing up and, and you seated so we can acknowledge you, but we can't see you if you don't. So, so would you, if you served in our armed forces, would you please stand so that we can honor you today? All over the building, would you please stand? Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for what you do. We thank God for you and thank God for your sacrifice and the sacrifice of your families. Uh, we, we really do. If, if there's anybody that understands sacrifice, it ought to be Christians. Amen. And so we're grateful for that. First Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be reading in the scriptures today as we continue our sermon series called Citizen Christians. I wonder if you remember this song. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I just soon stay home. Y'all know that one? Some of you are on the verge of clapping. Don't clap. <laughs> don't clap yet. When I think about that song and I think about the scriptures, I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what? If heaven's not like Alabama, you'd, you'd rather stay home? This is an eternal view of a temporary place. And that's kind of where we're headed and, and I'm all about good time and songs too, but we're talking about heaven. We're talking about a place that there's no sorrow or sin. No, no sickness, no death, no pain, no COVID, no cancer. We're talking about a place that has the perfect presence of God all the time. I mean, if you're in the summer in Alabama for a month, you've been here long enough to know the humidity is enough to want, get you to go somewhere else, right? That's... It's not that good. It's, it's, I love being here too. And some of you are like, please don't go after Bocephus on Sunday morning. Well, Hank needs to get his theology together because that's wrong. I, I'm, I just use this song as an example, as an opening. But it's evidence of how we can have such attachments to the world that we forget the realities of heaven. We forget, we forget heaven. That's how close connected we can become to the world. And this is where we lead into today in the scripture in 1 Peter. Because the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, I'm sorry, is writing to believers of the early church. And many of these are of a Jewish heritage, but they are, are scattered out outside of their homeland. And Peter uses this circumstance to remind those who are right with God, their true homeland, no matter where they find themselves, is heaven. And because God is the author, creator, sustainer, and in the presence of heaven, even though he's in the presence of us, because he is over that and they are in Christ, their allegiance 
is to God above all. And their greatest responsibility for living here on this earth is to God above all. This is the God who the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, called us out of darkness and into wonderful light. So as, as long as we're here on the earth, no matter where our citizenship is, as long as you and I are here on the earth and we are in Christ and right with God, we are dispersed. We are away from our homeland. And we're going to talk about what that means. Lord, just pray, God, you rid us of all distractions. Guide us through the next few moments. Help us to listen. Spirit of God, would you guide us into all truth? Away from ourselves, away from the attachments of this world, so that we may live in a way that is honoring to you and helpful to others. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see in verse chapter, 11, or chapter 2, verse 11, what the Bible says. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, dear friends, this is a pastor writing to a people that he loves, and he's warning them, he's urging them, because this is serious, and we're going to talk about this warning in just a second, as he is going to, because he loves them, he is going to, to tell them the truth. Amen? But I won't, before we look at the warning, I want you to see what he calls them. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Temporary residents are guests in a strange house. And, and foreigners are guests in a strange country. So, so both of these create the sense of uneasiness. Like you're not home and you shouldn't act like it until you get home. If I am invited to your house this afternoon, and I got the time, and I come over, I may walk in and sit down, but what I'm not going to do is kick off my shoes, go get in your refrigerator, lay down on your couch, and start talking to you. That would be quite weird. And the reason I won't do that, and if you do that, that is weird, but if, if I were to do that, it, it creates this sense of I'm where I'm supposed to be. And all of us get that way. In the time I've been on a mission trip, I get real close to the vest because I'm not at home. And so it should be that if we are Christians in this world, we are in Christ, heaven is that eternal home, there should always be this sense of detachment from this place. There should always be a sense of uneasiness, not complete rest, because this is not where God is going to place us forever. The, Billy Graham said that there's a biblical line between the world and the kingdom of God. We should always have this line, feel this line. And, and I want to tell you the difference between our culture and the culture where we read, because this is a big player in, in today's message as we talk about the suffering of people and, and, and how they are, are going through this world as a church, but in suffering and in dispersion and separation. The difference between this culture and our culture is that many of us have deep ties and take great pride in the freedoms that we enjoy, and we should. Should be celebrated. We, we, we should continue to fight for those freedoms that we get to stand up and, and, and talk about God any way that we want to. And, and the men and women that have stood and fought for those freedoms and served so that we may enjoy those things. This is what we have, and it is good. But here's what I'm saying to you. We don't have it as bad as they had it. This is a people that were always in the minority. This is a people that was away from their comfort level, away from their, their, their God, as far as being in a culture that was accepting of that. 
Honestly, it's, it's harder for us to embrace the daily thought of heaven because we kind of like the deal that we've got. That's the truth. We know, we know what happens around the world. We know where we are here. We actually enjoy what, where we are here and what we do here. Unless you're going through a season of pain or discomfort or loss, you, you, we, we kind of like it here, which is why we write silly songs like that. And I'm telling you, you've got to be aware of country song Christianity. It's good for listening to when you cut in the grass. It's, it's terrible for theology. So just not, it's just like Billy Graham said, there's a line there between the world and the kingdom. And we should know what's good time and music and what's truth. The scary thing is, is people take those things as truth. I read the following on Wednesday night as we're thinking about what it takes to get us to wake up to heaven. What it takes to get us to think about the kingdom of God. We read this Wednesday, one reason God allows his children to experience pain and death is to cause them to want to leave earth and eternity. One reason God allows his children to experience pain and death is to cause them to want to leave earth and enter eternity. Like that's the only reason, that's the only time a lot of us think about it, is in those circumstances, is in that pain. And we fall too much in love with this place and we start writing songs about it and it's not worthy of it. I've preached funerals in the last month. I've attended funerals in the last month and as I sat with those families, we didn't talk about politics one time. We didn't talk about ball one time. We didn't talk about work. We didn't talk about education. But you know what we did talk about in the midst of a funeral? Eternity. Forever. Because that's when we have a fresh reminder Man, this is just a vapor down here. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 7.3, sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. And so this, this is where we are. We live in a blessed place, and we're thankful for it. What we're looking at here was a people that were spread out, always in the minority. It was a struggle. They were downtrodden, a lot of them being persecuted. So thinking about heaven was an easy thing to do. The scripture says, as we read, that worldly desires wage war against our very souls. So the dividing line between the world and the kingdom, that line on the other side, which is the world, it wars against the very part of us that is alert or conscious to God. It's, an, it's a non-material desire from the world that is pulling us away from our allegiances to the Almighty. I remember as a teenager, I used to watch a couple of cable TV shows when I was young and impressionable, and I, I remember watching those um, and, and thinking of how, man, what I'm seeing looks pretty good. Like maybe we should entertain that. And then the spirit of God inside of me was like, man, guard your eyes. Cause that's terrible in reality. And it was on MTV and it was called the real world and road rules. And those of you that watch that too are afraid to laugh because you're afraid of the judgment of others that know those, those shows as well. They're terrible, right? And, and something happened when I would watch those, and my parents were not in the room. Something would happen. And they're watching a live stream. Probably shouldn't have said that. But the, the, the world would pull at me like, this is the way to go. And the Spirit of God, because I was a believer then, would be like, man, you need to turn your eyes from this worthless stuff. And so, 
when I think about that, I think those, those feelings and desires, I know a lot of our students are over here, those things don't end when college is over. Those things don't end when, when young adulthood is over. That, that desire from the world is always pulling at us because it's playing towards the part of us that is to be dedicated to God. And now I'm like living in an RV with people I don't know and staying up and going out real late in a house of people. I'm like, that sounds terrible, right? <laughs> but this is what the world does to us. It lures us in, makes us look, think like everything's great. We're not really a part of the drama. We just see it because it's reality TV. And what it's doing is it's pulling our allegiances away from God towards our own self-satisfaction. And what the Bible says is for us to stay away, to abstain from it in the Scripture. Keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. This, this should be the dividing line between the kingdom of God, which we are a part of, and that is coming to be fulfilled in eternity, and, and the world in which we live. And we're going to look today in the relationship between those two and how we treat those things. But let me give you this word to start off with, and it's enough to where you ought to put it down and think about it this week. As this week, we've all been reading our Bibles before we turn on the news, amen, from the challenge on Sunday. But this is the thing I want you to think about today. Live in this world and light it up, but don't love it. Live in it and light it up, but don't love it. There must be a biblical line drawn between the world and the kingdom. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It should be on the screen. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now watch this. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. Did you hear that word? The Bible says, it does not say the world offers a satisfaction. It offers just a craving. That's how addiction comes to be. Because we have searched and keep on searching for this feeling, but it never seems to be satisfied. So all it is is a craving. That's what you get when you love the world. And now we're trying to work our way back out of those things that the world is, is fought and won over us. So, so listen, I, I, if you're dealing with addictions, absolutely, God can free you of those things. I know it's hard. Stay the course and live by the power of the Spirit of God. If you are headed into addictions and you are thinking about students, if you are thinking about the things before you and the things you see people succumb to, then fight. It's only a craving. It will not satisfy. Fight it. This is, we're in a war is what the Scripture says. The craving for everything we see, a craving for physical pleasure, pride in our achievements and possessions. There again, it's that inner thing that we do with pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. We post everything we've got on social media. For what? Look at what the Scripture says. Pride in our achievements and possessions. All I'm saying to you is just be careful with that. Because a lot of times we post those things, we don't even know why we did it. Really what it comes down to is self-satisfaction. The scripture says this world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The specifics of living in the world and loving it have to do with these things. The scripture lays it out in all different kinds of places. Drunkenness, envy, sexual immorality, gluttony, wild living, self-promotion, jealousy, quarreling, 
But again, these worldly desires, they don't stop when we, when we advance past teenage years and college years because at the base of all of this is self-satisfaction. We want to do everything that revolves around our comfort, our liking, what we have, what we don't have. Our life is consumed by wanting to be satisfied with the feeling and fulfilling that feeling. It's what it's all about. When that happens, there's no room for anybody else. Because it's all about what we want to do, what we like, what we don't like. And this is the pull of the world that you look out for you, take care of what you want to do, what you want to be when you grow up, all of these things. And this leads us to the rest of our message. Because we are not our own, and because we are not full-time citizens of this world, and we are temporary residents and strangers, and we belong to King Jesus, and our conduct while we are here should reflect that of foreigners and strangers. And we're going to cover a couple of groups today that the Scripture speaks to in verses 12 and 13 and how we are to live properly before people so that it glorifies God and is good for them. I want us to look at the context, though, before we do that because this is really, really important. In this time, the Christian church is growing. But it's addition and subtraction kind of growth. Man, it's booming. The... the Truth has been revealed to the world. People are getting saved. You look in the scripture in the book of Acts, thousands of people are being added. But as they are dispersed out all over the world, it's growing into cultures that are, are really, really solid in other kinds of backgrounds, allegiances, where they, they are really into believing in different things outside of what the church believes in. And so it's, it's growing, but and when Jesus arose from the grave and ascended into heaven and the Spirit of God began to fill the lives of believers and the church rose up, the kingdom of God was advancing. But listen, it was not advancing without resistance. Wherever the early church found themselves, they were in the minority. It's not like there was a church on every corner. It, they, were, they were the new kids in town. Many in the church were scattered out, living in these foreign places, under the acknowledgement of foreign false gods, rulers that did not agree with their worldview. So guess what happens if you live in that kind of context and then there's a war where you live and you're getting beat in that war and all the people are praying to a certain God, but you're not. You get blamed for it. Everybody's giving allegiance to the government, but that government's going down in shambles. And you're the only group that's not giving allegiance. Guess what happens? You get blamed for all this falling apart. This is where the persecution comes in. And then, in a context like this, when, when the Bible calls out things and God's truth calls things out that are sinful, the church begins to abstain from those things, and now they're socially divided from the culture as well. So you keep hearing things like this. Oh, yeah, you used to do that stuff. Where are you now? Because, oh, you're too good for us now, aren't you? Now that you're a Bible thumper. You see, they heard these things as well. And now they're socially separated because of these things. And they don't give allegiance to the, to the kings and the authorities then because now they know that the king of kings is, is Jesus and they serve at the pleasure of the master. So when you're, when they, that church was not doing those things like everybody else, this is when the opposition comes in and persecution. But listen, I'm not talking about persecution like somebody rolls their eye at you. We're talking about persecution where a lot of them were faithful unto a violent death. This is the deal they had and were faithful in it. This is the church that we are, are looking at. 
This is why Peter said in chapter 1, verse 6, So be truly glad there's a wonderful joy ahead. And even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, that joy is coming. Christians were the, the outsiders. But rather than living like, gosh, I hope they all like us. Or please don't kill us. We're just going to hang out over here. Their attitude was, Jesus is my king. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to respect all y'all. But you got to do what you got to do when it comes to the end of the things. Because this is who I'm going to roll with. Like confident, maybe even not in themselves, but confident in their God. To the place of where no matter what you do, this is who we will be. Because if we die, then we're going to bust heaven wide open. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? And so this was their mentality in the early church. We live in a country where evangelical Christianity is becoming increasingly criticized. It's becoming opposed. It's said with an eye roll. People are beginning to make fun of, of Christians for their stances. It's really becoming more and more the norm. Aggressive agendas that, that boldly grow, grow in the face of evangelical Christianity is becoming more of the norm. And I wonder what we'll do. I just wonder if we'll be like, please don't kill us and please like us, or we're going to stand by the king of kings. Y'all got to do what y'all got to do. This is, this is confidence in, in, in God Almighty, the God who has provided a place for us. Amen? Now, I want to make a distinguishing point. Where we live, y'all, we need to wake up to this. Where we live is not what we looked at in biblical times. It's also, hey, can y'all turn me down just a little bit? The reverb is like, Knocking my head off. Thank you. I don't think y'all can hear it. You just hear the roar. <laughs> Thank you. Where, where we live is not the biblical time, and where we live is not everything you're seeing on your screens. There needs to be something said about this. Because where we live locally, Christianity has often driven our local culture. Hear, hear what I'm saying. Our, around here, our God, even if not believed in, is often acknowledged. And around here, Christians and Christian leaders who often have no connection to people that don't even believe in what we believe are often given respect. That still happens around here. So, so stay with me. You received a letter in the mail just like I did from people that were running for office and they listed where they go to church and where they serve on it to try to get your vote. That's where we live, okay? Now here's something about culture. Culture's not changed. Culture is created and cultivated. You want to keep living where we're living, like we're living, then you need to be a part of continuing to create and cultivate that culture. All right? If you like the deal we've got, which I love it. I love it. We can still go into places and preach the gospel because there are believing leaders there that'll let you. And they call in the shots. So I love that. And this is where we live. But if you want to keep it the way we've got it around here, then don't start becoming indifferent to all kinds of things and thinking it's going to be this way around here for a long time. Well, it's not if we don't live it out. We have to continue to do what? What, what things are you talking about? What do we see in the Scripture? Abstaining from sin. How do Christian leaders keep credibility? Abstaining from sin. Admitting we're wrong. Do y'all hear that? Admitting when we're wrong, speaking well of people, exercising self-control, using social media as a help 
and a light rather than just a place of our simple self-expression. Who's listening? This is blending in with everything else. Use it for the glory of God strategically for the good of man. Man, that's why if, if, if we got a way to communicate, let's do it and make a difference with it. I don't care what you had to eat for breakfast. Come on. Well, I got biscuit too, but... God. And the truth is, is like these are things that I'm learning as well. What are we promoting? Because a lot of the things that we promote reflect a love for a world that is passing away. Just got to keep that in, in mind. Now, let's look at these groups of people and how we are to live before them according to the Word of God. Because the Scripture says in verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Man, I'm not done with that. I'm not done with that yet. If you want to lose the culture we enjoy around here, th then let that desire of the world have you. Because when, when we let the desire of the world creep in and drag the credibility out of our Christianity, that's when the culture begins to lose its way. Nobody going to vote for you when, you when you give yourself over to the world. You see, where you go to church, I'm glad you go to church. Where you serve in church, I'm glad. But if we don't live it out, nobody's going to follow. That's starting with me. I understand that responsibility. All right, now I can, now, okay. Verse 12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and will give honor to God when he judges the world. See, we have to be so careful living before others because I'm hoping if a lot of us in here are Christians, if I slip and fall or you slip and fall and we get back up, we understand the grace of God. Amen? Well, the world that don't believe that don't understand it. So this is why we need to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is why we need to walk in the Spirit of God. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Listen to Proverbs seventeen seven: When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. That's what the Scripture says. Now the idea, I love this. I love when I study commentaries, people that are a whole lot smarter than me, and they put it so plain that I can understand it. But when you look in the scripture, you, your, your uh, translation may say Gentiles instead of unbelieving neighbors. One commentary I read said this, the word for Gentiles and unbelieving neighbors is everybody other than you. So listen to this. Be careful, if you're believing in this Bible, be careful to live properly among everybody but you. Or everybody outside of who you are. Because when we read that, we talk about unbelieving neighbors, maybe some of us would say like, well, we don't know if our neighbors are saved or not. Well, what we ought to do with that is just assume everybody's lost, live right before all of them, and we're good. But, but the, the part of that, though, when the Scripture says, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, because for the church, they were living beside, just like we are, everybody but you. They were living beside everybody. And, and maybe we would say this thing of, of you know, we, we don't really know our neighbors. We don't know exactly if they're saved or not, what they believe or not. Maybe they are believers. Well, then get to know them. Love your neighbors in there. 
I love the effort we've had in recent years to, to challenge you with that. But that's really not a program thing that begins and ends at a certain time. That's just all the time. If, if you want to know if your neighbor has a right relationship with God, then get to know them. Ministry works best in the context of relationships. Do you, I'm serious, do you know who you live around? Do you know who your neighbors are? Do you know the four or five houses that are right alongside you? Do you know who they are? Or do we get home, tired from work, we give them one of these, walk in, close the door behind us, and hope they don't say anything intentional to us? Y'all, we've, now we're living in a culture, now we got no solicitation signs on our doors. Don't come and see me, because I'm not coming to see you. You know, if I, if I even had one of those on my door, if my neighbor stopped by, guess what? I'd let them in because we have a relationship. So in order for us to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors, we, we should really think about getting to know them and, and so that we can share with them. I want to make a bold statement too relative to this. If you're unwilling to, make, to smile and make someone feel welcome in here, guarantee you're not thinking about it out there. Guaranteed. Challenge. If you've been here five minutes, we're so glad to have you. And I hope you, are feel well, you feel welcome here. If you've been here five years, worst thing you can do when you come in here is sit down. You need to be looking for others that you don't know. Because this is a family, and we're trying to make people feel welcome in this house. So just take, yeah, take that as a challenge, because this is a challenge for me every time I enter these doors. Don't, don't, don't wait for somebody to talk to you. You go talk to somebody. And, and we should know who our neighbors are, who we live beside, where are they from, wh wh what, what are their needs. If we are in Christ, when we are around people, we should have the conscious mindset of this. I've got what you need. And until I find out you've got it, I'm going to keep building this relationship until we get this thing straight. I, I, had a, I, had a, uh, I was telling Brittany about this this week. Um, our family knows a young lady. We, we have uh, we've seen her um, just over and over again in the last few years. And, uh, you know, I, I think to myself when, when we have an opportunity to talk, like if I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to God's leading and if he would lead us to have an intentional conversation about things that matter, I'm ready to go. And so we've done that in different ways over, over uh, a period of time. And then I found out the other day that her, her uncle had uh, terminal cancer. And, and she told me about that. Well, listen, church, seriously, not trying to be manipulative. I'm just telling you what's real. You can get from terminal cancer to eternity and salvation in between real quick. You can turn that conversation real quick. And so what I learned was is that she believes the same thing that I believe. And amen. And so then the conversation went from evangelism to discipleship. Now we're trying to teach it because she made a statement that I, I think a lot of us probably make when we don't really know what the scripture says. She made a statement of, I just, I just hope that's, that's what gets me in. Oh, no, no, no. I said, you ain't got to hope. You can know. You can know. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 5. Or chapter five. So, so we, we talked to those things again. It's that conversation that... that that I'm, we were constantly thinking of, okay, but listen, that didn't happen in the first five minutes. That happened over years in the context of a relationship. Get outside of ourselves and talk to people. All right? You know, you know how church grows? Brother Dusty and I have always had these conversations. 
strategies, conferences, and we take all these things, and they're great. At the end of the day, I remember he told us one time, people reach people. That's the way it always is. People reach people. So let me encourage you with this. The holidays are coming up. It's a great time. It's a great time to get to know people. You can go carol. That'd probably be weird if it's just you. I challenge you to do this. Why don't you make some cookies, Christmas cookies, Thanksgiving breads, whatever it is that you do. Go, go knock on your neighbor's door. Take them those. And this is the conversation Brittany and I had to own up to when we took our family down the street to a few of our neighbors. We knocked on their door, and this is what we told them. My name is Andy John. This is Brittany. This is Davis and Noel. And we're just trying to be better neighbors. So we, 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 what we're doing is, is we're bringing you uh, cookies to make you like us. And um, no. But, but basically, we were just saying, like, we're just, you know, this is our names. We'd love to meet you guys. We, we live, this is where we live down there. If y'all ever need anything, you let us know. And, uh, and we also, so if there's anything, I play the preacher card all the time. I don't know what card you got. That's the card I got. We'd love to pray over your house. And a lot of us, a lot of them, everybody let us pray over them. One guy invited us in before I could tell him. He invited me to pray over them. And, and so there, if, we, if we're going to really love our neighbor, I, I'm thinking a simple step might be to know who they are. Just to know who they are. Let's take that as a specific challenge over, over Thanksgiving giving and Christmas just to get outside of ourselves. And, and that way we know who we are living properly in front of. Now, this is what I would say also about this. Scripture does not endorse a witness without words approach to people. At some point, we're going to have to open our mouth, y'all. And that means we need to know what the Scripture says about all that we can know. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 teaches that proper living and good behavior go a long way in front of neighbors that don't believe like you believe. Think of it. I want you to think of it in the context of biblical times. These Christians coming in here... We're opposed to them. They don't believe the same way we do. They sprinkled all over the place. Foreigners, a bunch of weirdos, a peculiar people. And then, because y'all are just like us, they live in close proximity to people. And, and so then, somebody in that family dies, and a Christian walks across and knocks on their door and says, I just want to tell you I'm really sorry about the death in your family. And I want you to know we'll be praying for you. That's all. And they leave and go back home. That changes things, doesn't it? Because the attitude towards them to begin with is don't come in here. But Christians know when they see broken people and they reach to them because that's what God has done. He's brought us from the darkness into the light. So when we see darkness, we're going to light it up. Can you imagine if, if, somebody's, if somebody's there, there, there's a sickness in the, in the family, they've really had nothing to do with you, and then this sickness in their family is really stricken their home. It's really hard and terrible. And then I don't know if they did chicken soup back then, but Christians show up and knock on the door with chicken soup. And like, look, we just don't even know what to do. We just make food. We hope y'all get well soon. See, that begins to change things. And this represents who God is. Because God loves the unlovable. When, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst... Christ was at his best. Secondly, the second group is all human authority. Now, this has to do with our Citizen Christian series. So, 
Let's just pray for a second and, and take in the rest of this message. Lord, just open our heart and mind to what you would have to say. Pray that we would know we are underneath your authority as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. And I'm going to read that again. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. I talked about this recently with my son. God gives authority in place to, to, to cull those who do wrong and to keep those who are doing right safe. So if you make sure you do right, you ain't got nothing to worry about. That's what the Bible's teaching, for real. That's what it's teaching. So a couple of three things here as we get started with this idea of, of we are to respect all human authority. Now, I do feel led to say this. I don't know that I would let any president fill this pulpit until I know their heart. I can show them respect, but that's, that's a little different. Y'all hearing me? So just take that in. Okay, a couple, three things here. Authority and order are God's ideas. That comes from God. God set up authority and order. The scripture says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Everyone, which means all of us, we're included, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. This is just, and so you might think, listen, a few years ago, four years ago, we had people saying that God did this. They put this president in this office which is, you got to be careful when you word those things because if it doesn't change in the direction you were going, now what do you say? Because here we are. Well, this is what I know about a sovereign God. And we looked at this Wednesday night again. Everything that happens down here is either caused by God or allowed by God. So we just got to trust God to know what we need. He's in control. He is sovereign. Let's just keep those things in mind. First thing, authority and order are God's ideas. Second thing, those in authority are servants of God. Anybody in here that holds a position of authority, whether it be in your family, to the place that you work, in the government, people are in authority are servants of God because God set up the system of authority. And I mean that in the original sense. Originally, all power given to any office was given by God. Romans chapter 13 verse 4 says, The authorities are God's servant sent for your good. Therefore, all within seats of authority are accountable to people for sure. But listen, the buck doesn't stop with your constituents. The buck stops with Almighty God. God set up the system of order. If you serve in one of those positions of authority, now or one day you're going to be accountable to Almighty God. That's it, because he set it up. Current and future leaders of government better know this. I hope we have people from this congregation that run from office to represent the interests of the Lord in the world so that the gospel goes forward. But if we do, we better know that we are accountable unto the God who created order to begin with. Well, how do we let people know about this? This is pretty important. That leaders should know that they're accountable to God. Well, we can vote for sure, but here's the thing. I'd rather them believe it and, instead of just know it. So that means we've got to be a light in the world. We've got to open our mouth. We have to witness and love, balance grace and truth. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 2 says, 
When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Here's what we learned Wednesday night. It could be, depending on how you see this election, it could be that the church is at its best, God help us, fear and trembling, when we're groaning. Just depending on how you see it. What we looked at Wednesday night was the Spirit of God intercedes for us in groanings as we are recognizing fresh our need for God. Just something to consider. I'm going to take a shot at something here because I think we really need to hear it. Our culture has a tremendous disrespect for authority. It's tremendous. And it, it influences me, influences our family. Why is that? Where does that come from? Well, the character of authority does have something to do with that, and we're going to balance that in just a second. But there's another part of this. When the children of parents see parents do nothing but question and criticize every person in authority, then guess what happens to the next generation? Not only do they question it and criticize it, they don't do it by that authority. So, when the school calls and says that your kid has done something, the narrative is not, hey, will you tell me what he did? Because they're going to get it. Now it's, well, what did you do to cause my son to do that? Are, you, are we serious about that? So we're just assuming that every, character, every leader has a zero character and senseless, and they got the job because of nothing. And it all stems from a pull from the world to do what you want to do in self-satisfaction. So what we do is, is we teach our children to question every decision that comes down, to criticize every person that's in leadership. So they begin to disrespect their teachers. They begin to disrespect the police. They begin to go against the government. And all of a sudden, God can't tell them what to do. Because we set up that, we set that up for years, that anybody that has any authority must be questioned. I'm just going off of what it says, y'all. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. It was set up to guard you and guide you. I'm not saying it's perfect, and we're going to look at that. But this is, this is where we'll, if we're not careful, I just, I just really think we need to be slow to speak. Amen? Slow to get angry. There, there are times to flip over the tables in the temple and have righteous anger. But man... There's the balance in Scripture of the other thing. Now, listen. At the same time, here's the other part of this, our disrespect for authority. The other part of that, now especially, as mankind has gone on long enough, and social media, and this is what I'll say, is probably something about social media that we don't think about. Social media has probably enlightened us to the abuse of authority that was probably often covered up in history that we just never saw. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. The distrust of authority begins to widen when we see it all the blasted time. But when we see it all the time, we begin to think a bad apple spoils a bunch. And that's really not the way to see it. It's really not the way to see it. We need to have honest scales whenever we are, are judging anybody. We'll just haul off and say all these people and include everybody, cancel everything. That's not honest scales. It's just the way that we feel. 
And because a bad apple really doesn't spoil a bunch. But when it's put in front of us all the time, it influences us to think this way. So what do we do? Right? Are you with me? What do we do? How do we think? What should we go by? We do what God says. That's what we do. We do it to a fault even. That's what we do. The scripture says, look here again. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king of head of state or the officials as he is appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong, to honor those who do right. See, when we see those things, though, when we read that, this is what we want to do. Yeah, but we don't have a king. They were talking about kings. We got a president. Exactly. Because the kings here could do anything they wanted to. No checks and balances. So this is even a greater responsibility here. Again, I'm just, I'm just telling you what it says. And I, 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 God has not called me to massage your shoulders or tickle your ears. I'm not going to do it. Rule is better than no rule at all. And this, again, this is what the Scripture is teaching because God set up order. He set up government. Now, this is something you need to take with that and know it going in. No governing authority is going to be what you want it to be. Do you know why? Because there's people in it. They need to be saved. And even saved people need the power of God to live right. I don't like targeting calls as much as you do. I think it's ridiculous. Let's hand every quarterback a cupcake, I guess. Man, he just got knocked down. Some of you football coaches, you know where I'm going. Just stay with me. But we, we've gotten to the point of where we, we, I mean, we have created all these rules. But listen to me. We would never watch football if it didn't have rules. It would be just chaos. It would be craziness. We watch it because of the rules. Because it is organized. Because there's strategy to it within the parameters and the standards. Rule is better than no rule at all. God even has us to set up order in the worship service. That's, that's who God is. We don't just come in here and start going, hey, what y'all want to do? That's not like God. You seen how God's ordered the universe? That the water stops at a certain point at the beach? That's God. God has set up systems of order. And no government, no anything with people in it will ever be perfect. So, knowing all this, church, knowing all this, knowing governing authority was God's idea, knowing the officials within that authority are servants, are to be servants of God, and rule is no better than rule at all. The scripture says, submit yourself to the governing authorities. And the governing authority here refers to those, that the, the chief authority is what it really refers to, by whatever name he or she goes by, whoever is in charge. That's, that's what it says. And you may think, well, submit probably means, nope, submit means exactly what you think it means. It means to place yourself under. It, it means to be subordinate to the leadership. Now, if there's a bristle to that, which there often should be a bristle because the character of a leader determines whether or not we're going to let you lead us and like it or not. Are you with me? There should be a bristle though, but remember the motivation found in Scripture in verse 13 at the very beginning. For the Lord's sake. For the sake of God, submit to all governing authority. Do we think that we are so special that in this day and time, this passage doesn't apply to us. God knows full well what's going on. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, again, 
If we have this part where we just don't like it, it's not for your sake. It's not for us to feel good about it. It's for the sake of God. It reflects God's character when people do things for right when it don't make sense. For the sake of the Lord, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 2, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. That's what the Bible says. Now, here's one more thing to note. Y'all probably going to like this a lot better, I'll just tell you. The Scripture says, look at verse 17. Respect every, This is a great motto for us to follow. Respect everyone, love your Christian brothers and sisters, fear God, and respect the king. We are to respect the king, but we're to fear God. We are slaves of God to a perfect master. No governing authority will ever tell us how we're supposed to act towards God. No governing authority. And I love and appreciate that we're in a country I can stand up and say that free with freedom. But no governing authority has the right to give us a standard or conviction above that of Almighty God. I had a guy walk out in the first service. He said, man, I'm with you. But tell me how we're supposed to do when and whatever when it goes towards our convictions. Well, that's what I'm telling you. We're, we, we respect governing authority when it comes down to us personally and we have to make a decision we're going to go with God or go with the government. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, here's what I'm telling you, though. We are not in here. We've not gotten to the place where they are taking religious freedom. Now, again, I understand we don't want to get to that place and we have to guard against that. I understand that. But here's where, here's where we are in relative to where they were. Understand the context. So, what I'm telling you is, is if the government says, uh-uh, y'all not going to worship that Christian God anymore because he causes too much trouble. Here's what y'all are going to do. That's when we open up the doors and say, rally the troops, let's talk about what we're going to do. Okay? But we're not, we're not there. So right now, right now, what we are to do is we're to submit ourselves to the governing authority, respect the king, fear God, let honorable, honorable behavior talk, talk for itself. The scripture says, and I turn to my last page, the scripture says in the book of Acts, and Peter was there, the apostles were confronted and they were asked, didn't we tell you never to teach in this man's name again? An authority figure said, you don't talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and the apostles said, oh man, we obey God rather than you. We, we're not going to do that. That's why there are people in countries that are closed down that are meeting in churches under the cover of darkness. That's why they're still witnessing. And they're still going. And they're being killed and martyred for their faith. Because we answer to God. Witnessing stops when God says it stops. Worship stops when God says it stops. And they don't stop. I love Daniel in the scriptures. That's one of my favorite Daniel lines then. Hey, everybody here is going to pray to the king. Everybody got that? It's going to be fun. We're going to have a gathering and everybody here is going to stop praying to your God. We're going to pray to the king, the chief authority. And Daniel said, I'm out. Where's he going? Oh, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to throw open my doors in my home and I'm going to start praying like I always do. See, that's... But that happened, that happened when they were taking it away. I'm not, I'm not... Please just understand. I just know where we live. Know what we need to hear. I, I trust that I'm seeking God. Amen. I wish we would accept the motto of verse 17. Respect everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. 
fear God and respect the king. I want to leave you with one closing thought because I've gone over my time. Why would God have us to live honorable lives and properly before people who would criticize and cuss us? No, wait, wait, don't move, don't move, hear it. We're not closed yet, don't move. Why would God have us? Some of y'all are stuck, you're like. Why would God have us to live these honorable lives before people that would persecute us, slander us, take freedoms away? Why would God have that? Because goodwill towards bad will reflects the character of Jesus. That's why. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were in a bad way, and God got real good for us. And it reveals his character that draws us to him. Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. If we've said to pray for our president the last four years, then we've got to pray for the president in the next four years. It doesn't make any sense to me why we would stop saying those things. Just be consistent, amen? Goodwill towards bad will looks like the character of Jesus. In all of this, y'all, God is changing us and conforming us to the image of Christ. Of Jesus. That's the one we've been singing about. That's the one we've been praying to. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I want to invite you to this altar. Listen, this is the part in the service where we just give to you to have time to respond and if you don't respond today, would you pray for others that may respond? If you want to join this church, I'll meet you right here. If, if you want to be baptized and they can take a next step of obedience, if you need to be saved today and God's working on you to get right with Him, then, then come and just tell us five words. I need to be saved. We'll take it from there. I promise you we're, we're here to help you. Lord, we open up our altar to respond. God, if I've said anything confused in spirit of God, would you just make it plain? It's just my simple prayer that our greatest allegiance is you. That what Lindsay Lane is known for is following Jesus. God, I'm grateful for your forgiveness over me. Grateful, Lord, for your patience with me. I'm grateful, oh God, that you make a way for your church and for your people. Lord, whatever side of the aisle we find ourselves on, may we all know that we are awaiting a homeland that is much greater. But while we are here, we're to light it up, but we shouldn't love it. God, we long for home. We long for home even if we don't know we should. Lord, would you lead us in the next few moments that we would worship. If we've not worshiped you yet, that we would sing with a heart and mind of worship. And God, if we really need to do something about what you're doing in our heart, that we would do it. In Jesus' name.